I'm going to be very candid with you. We are living in a computer program. Welcome everyone to Simulation Nation, your portal to all things virtual. I'm your host, Grant Tallman, and I'm here to keep you informed about all that's happening in virtual reality. Record our episodes live in Altspace every week. You can join us from your PCR VR headset. Just log into Altspace, join our Simulation Nation channel, and teleport in. Today, we have a game review of DBO. You have the medal to survive a monster-infested dungeon crawler that immerses players in the classic fantasy RPG genre like never before? Time to find out. We will break it down, have a healthy dose of tips and tricks, and give it our wow score. Joining me once again is the most futury of all the futurists, Futurosity. Here he is. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for inviting me back to Simulation Nation. You kidding? You're like you're you're on the castle of the wise already. We we have to do a, an official uh, ceremony where we can I- induct uh, you into the council of the wise, where you get Ooh, getting... <laughs> where you get so many perks. You you become a king oh. of the metaverse. Oh, wonderful! I got a like a little sword tap on both shoulders. Hopefully, <laughs> exactly. I just think, awesome. By the way, I realized. I realize I totally doxed you last time and I said your real name. Do you want me to call you by your real name or by your new newfangled metaverse name, Futurosity? Well, it's totally fine. Um, I essentially think of my Twitter account almost like a public telephone inside the barbershop. So if someone wants to reach out to me, hey, you can reach out via Twitter. So that's totally fine. Jonathan Boyce or Futurosity. Totally cool. All right. All right. Excellent. Well, you have to create a new Twitter account. that's just your Futurosity uh, pseudonymous uh, identity, right? I mean, I guess. I don't know. Maybe, maybe or maybe you have like such a huge Twitter follower with Jonathan Boyce that you don't want to uh, migrate them over or something. <laughs> I think Futurosity will have more fans than my normal self. <laughs> well, hey, anytime you want to make the transition... And I'll just go back into the old episodes and it'll be like, and welcome, my new guest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. Have the lip sync not match, you know, that'll be perfect. (laughs) Exactly. So um, totally, uh, totally excited you could come back because we've been both geeking out on uh, all over the the week, actually for a couple of weeks now on Demio, which I always thought was called Demio. Until I listened to a podcast with the create the the CEO of Resolution Games, and he called it Demio. So I guess uh-huh. it's like a demon. It's like a demon, but it's like like a demon song. Cheerio, Demio. I don't know. Oh, you know what it actually is? Demio comes from Latin. Um, wow. It's a term meaning to like to go below or down into the depths. Uh, so yeah, it's supposed to be like a you know a, a metaphor for dungeon crawling. Ah, so if if only I had known we had a Latin scholar here, we could have had this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or well, at least ninth awesome. grade to eleventh grade. <laughs> That's so great, I love it. Okay, cool. Well, um, yeah. So obviously, so the the great thing about Dino is that it's a multiplayer. You have a you can have as many as four players playing, and we've played a couple games uh, as uh, as teammates. So it's been super great. Um, again, you're like, you know, you're on the West Coast, I'm in Hawaii, so we're kind of like meeting in the metaverse and playing this game in these dungeons and trying to do all this crazy stuff, and it's been super fun. So um, did you want to start with the overall thoughts, just sort of uh, what do you think about it? What do you, you know, the big picture stuff? Oh, well, please. Um, 
it brings me back. Um, Demio made me feel like an eight-year-old all over again, playing games, you know, especially in the late 80s, um, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or Hero Quest. Um, that's the one game this reminds me of the most. Um, Hero Quest mm-hmm. was a dungeon building game where you had this dark dungeon. You kind of get your friends to crawl through it as, you know, basic archetypes like, you know, the sorcerer or the warrior. Um, very similar kind of themes, you know, using miniatures to go through various traps and scares um so it really reminded me of those early scares as a kid you know i roll the dice there's something behind this door that's going to come out and get us and demio recreated that experience it that role-playing game experience of just throwing dice with three other friends have a chance to have a laugh and hey kill some goblins while you're at it (laughs) really enjoyable That's awesome. Yeah, I, I, you know, the weird thing is I was totally into fantasy and I was totally into video games and I never played Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. And I don't know why ah. we didn't get together and play it. I, I would play like Final Fantasy on like the original Nintendo. And that was Ooh. like four, four fantasy characters, like one sort of soldier, one uh, wizard. And you go through the world. And I, I remember loving that game so much. And you stop and you talk to things and you you have certain cards that you use spells and all of that. I think Final Fantasy is at like what? Final Fantasy 10 now or, or something like that? Oh, it, it's beyond 10. I, it's in the yeah. teens, I think. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, so that was that was my only... Uh, I, I feel like I missed out on 80s nostalgia ah. gaming with Dungeons & Dragons. Um, having said that, it doesn't affect my love of this game at all. Like, I totally get the vibe that they're going for. I totally, um, know what that experience was all about. And the fact that it's in a rec room, like an eighties rec room is, is a really cool kind of throwback. Um, and you know, it's eighties cause there's like a ColecoVision or something (laughs) and like a Commodore 64 or something like that. Um, Oh, I loved it. Yeah, but, it's the ambiance of the I, 80s. You know, what's that? Oh, it's the ambiance of the 80s. It just felt like a throwback, you know, and someone's downstairs in the basement playing some games, friends. Yeah. So I, I feel like um, even though I, I missed out on my Dungeons & Dragons youth in that specific way, it doesn't change my love for the game. I first got the game, I opened it up, uh, put it put on the headset, and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go in for an hour just to test it out. <laughs> and when I got out, I realized I had been in there for four hours and like it was just like totally immersed and just like lost track of time and was just kind of like in those dungeons. Because I have to admit, at the beginning, when you first get in there, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of uh, explosions and, and and spells and plasmas flying at you and and it's it's a it's a it's a it's just seems so chaotic and so hectic that i really found it challenging and i wanted to like up my game very quickly um and the and the way that i found that i upped my game the most was actually to play with other players right it's like you go oh, into yeah. the multiplayer mode join a game and then suddenly this guy's like oh you just got to do this or oh you got to aim for that guy because he can spawn those guys and then it uh, bit by bit step by step it becomes much more clear uh, as to what you have to do and now which is a couple weeks later i can go in and and pretty much finish the game any try i i do my now my goal is like don't ever let one of your characters be 
downed, you know, like can you make yes, it yes. all the way through without downing anyone? So that's sort of the new challenge, but I, I, I totally loved it. Totally immersed. Um, and I thought it was, I thought it was just a, yeah, it's just a great, a great, um, a great VR game. So, um, yeah, we'll get into uh, we'll get into some of the things that maybe could have been improved. Like, for example, the fact that I say I can beat it every time. There's only three levels. Yes, that is an issue. But I give it that I give them this. It's a board game, so when it comes to content, you know, you have a game like you know Hero Quest or even like Settlers of Catan. Uh, essentially, you kind of create the adventure over and over again um, through the unique experience of having three other players with you. So that's the hard part, where it feels like a board game, but I, I want a little bit more. You know, I, I I wish there was at least six levels. You know, something a little meatier. <laughs> Or even something that we could split up into more than one session, you know, especially if it's a group of friends. It's like, hey, why don't we do two games, you know, and complete like a, a six hour mission over two or three sessions? Uh, I, those are certain features I wish would come in the near future. Overall, it's just a wonderful experience, very immersive. And it just reminded me of just being a child. I mean, I think that's the thing, picking up those miniatures and you could literally flip the miniature over and look under it. And there's more information. It actually says, you know, um, made in Sweden. I mean, I, just those little details are just brilliant. Totally. I'm so super excited about that. I guess they've, they've announced these, the next level is the, or the next campaign is the realm of the rat. King. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Which... wonderful. Yeah. And I, I thought, I wonder if there was a hint because when you're in the playroom, at the beginning, there's a poster on the wall that says the Night of the Were-Rat as though that's like a movie that you could watch. wonder if the Were-Rat is like related to the Rat King. I guess we'll find out. Oh, yeah. There's a little metaverse going on. I mean, that little room seems like there's little Easter eggs. Just like you said earlier, you know, there's like some Commodore looking computer and old movie posters and, you know, look like some kind of, yeah, ColecoVision of some sort. I mean, it's a hodgepodge of the best of the 80s in that room. Um, it's absolutely love that little room yeah exactly. i know you have an option to hide it right yeah 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 um wait what did you say there's actually an option to hide the actual room but it feels a little weird because you're just like floating in dark space uh, yeah. um, I, I actually enjoy having the room um even if the option of other rooms in the future will be great um you know taverns or other fantasy like elements but hey nothing's better than the 80s can't complain yeah, no, I you're right. I think I may have by accident one time turned everything dark and I was like freaked out. Like, what the hell? I'm in a, yeah. I'm in a void. I'm in a bottomless, endless <laughs> void. I got to get back to like the room. It's nice and safe. Um, oh, yeah. But, but you, you sort of touched on plot. So, yeah, the plot is extremely thin. So I think so there's some interesting things that may be uh, I, I was a little bit questioning about the plot as well. OK, so the plot basically is that you are in the black sarcophagus, right? That's what this um, campaign is called. And basically yes. there's this elven king, uh, right? Who was mad, I guess. And then he was, he locked himself in a sarcophagus and his spirit got trapped between two worlds. So he was not living or dead. And then he made a pact with darkness, with the outer darkness, which like, what is the outer darkness? Like, what is that just like evil spirits or like sort of vague enough that it could be something? I'm not sure. Do you have any hints or clues as to what the outer darkness might be? 
I'm not sure, but I'm imagining something humongous and scary in a future hey. campaign. Uh, it feels yeah. like uh, hopefully they're going to build up. Um, I really hope that the campaign will build into some bigger bad, you know, because right now our big bad is that um, you know, we have a queen of sorts, some elven queen. But I mean, there's yeah. many different monsters that are possible. So who knows? I can't wait. I want to see what that darkness yeah. is. The elven queen is my other question. So then, okay, so... The king drops himself in the sarcophagus, but then he also traps his royal subjects in there as well. So the first campaign is just to release the elven king's subjects, right? And we haven't actually released the elven king yet. But here's my question. Like, why is the elven queen the big bad guy? Like, what did he do to her that he's, she's so pissed that she's like, I will not, I will die before I let you in and rescue my husband. Is that the, is that her husband or are we to assume that? See, I'm wondering the same thing. I'm not sure if like, she was the queen by marriage or does she t try to take over the role? That's a hard one. I mean, overall, I mean, the story's thin. It's only a, a couple pages on screen. They just give us a little storybook of just, hey, you know, he's bad elven king and he's trapped in the necropolis and with yeah. to save their souls um, that that's literally it. Um, yeah. it most of the story is mostly through the interactions you know the collaboration with other players that kind of builds a story but that's still not really a story it's a story of our actions towards you know enemies and other obstacles but we don't really know anything about the overall plot uh, there's no real progression other than just hey let the thing out um, so it is a little anticlimactic, I guess, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But, and it's also like, well, if this was his wife and she's desperately trying to stop everyone from saving him, then if she's not the final, final boss and she's only the boss of the first campaign, then who the heck is going to be beyond that? And why is she so low on the totem pole? I don't know. And why is she so ugly? Like, what, is the Elven King also that ugly? Because she's, she's not very good looking. You know what? That's a weird one because the Elven King only has uh, two arms, according to the picture I saw, and she has right. four. So, <laughs> not sure how the Elf question. anatomy works in this universe. I don't know, <laughs> but that is a little weird. I don't know. Yeah, we got to find out this uh, Elven family tree here because something something's got a mock in their uh, in their lives. I'm not quite sure, but um, <laughs> but in any case. You know, I also am interested, like, okay, so if that's the elven realm that we go down into, you know, then we've, I think we've got ogres, we've got, um, you know, uh, we've got giant uh, trolls, trolls that show up every once in a while. And then we've got our four main characters. So it's interesting to know, like, what would the world be like outside of this propolis? Uh, you know, in this dungeon that we are in. That, that's kind of interesting as well. I doubt we'll ever get there in this game. Uh, this w version, but um, it would be interesting to get uh, uh, just a, a glimpse of what is above the surface and what's outside of these, these dungeons. Oh, I think it's, you're right about that. Um, there's a lot of options um, for story fodder. I mean, it's kind of you have to have your own meta story within your head, but I did wish they're a little more explicit. You know, just a few more details. Give us a little more world building. And that way, as you interact with other players, you can kind of have a little more role play because this isn't really a role play game um, people say right. hey, it's role playing you're right. not really playing a role you're playing a class uh, you're playing a part within the game but you're not really playing a character you know i'm not right. an archer character i'm participating as an archer to get a certain task completed i, I think that's the one big difference um, I, a little more story mm. 
maybe that can help. You know, in the back of my head, I could feel like my actions have a little more meaning within the game. Totally, totally, totally. Okay, so let, let's talk about the, these characters that we can play here because, and, I, and I'm very curious to know what your favorite is because I, I certainly. You know, it's interesting. I started off with one being my favorite and I've now moved and that person is now my least favorite. So it's kind, <laughs> of, it's kind of an interesting trajectory, but we got four main characters here. Right? I feel like there's like two um, that are close range fighters and two that are more far range fighters, right? So we've, yes. got, the, um, we've got the knight or the, the sort of soldier that they call the tank or a bunch of different names for, uh, for her. Uh, the guardian, I guess, is the big name. And she is, uh, she can replace, replenish her armor every time. So she's basically got endless life, like endless sort of health. And she can go in and she can really hit hard. And she has this shield that can protect us. She's like the frontline fighter. Then you've got the, um, and you know, and so yeah, his, 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 she's uh, her um, strength obviously is is power in close battle, which I guess is the melee. Malay fighting or whatever. Oh yeah, this character is important because there's a lot of yeah. times you realize how soft you are when it comes to getting damage from enemies. You know, if you yeah. play as you know, let's say the sorcerer and you open a door, well, you might get hit hard. That's a nice thing about um, they have these refillable abilities. Um, you might notice like the the armor up on this character. Um, you have a card that has you know like the little double arrow symbol representing it refreshes each turn. So you always have an opportunity to refresh the armor value. So you could open up a door and just kind of wait it out and take a few hits from the bad guys and allow the rest of the team to scoop in. So it's really fun how each role really has a dynamic purpose. Um, and yeah. if other players understand the role, they all could work together and collaborate for, you know, really big wins and really neat combos, you know, between characters yeah. are available. Totally, totally. So uh, this is definitely a character. I don't think I've ever gone on a campaign without the Guardian. I feel like they're like the one you one of the ones you need. I don't know. Do you feel that? Have you have you tried without the Guardian? It's hard because the Guardian is the one that's able to be a little more independent because of that mm. extra shield. I mean, because sometimes right. you have a humongous spider pop out of nowhere and just take some you know, massive damage. And I'll be down if I'm playing any other character, but this one you know, could take a couple big hits and then retaliate. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so then we got the the hunter, right? This is this one is an interesting one because the she is um she has uh arrows, bow and she's she shoots bow and arrow, so she can get um distance uh she can capture you know kill people from very far away where she's still safe and the the interesting thing about her right is that she has two replenishable arrows per turn and each of them have a minimum of three hits damage so you could get six damage on a foe without even getting in the same room as them so i i really i really love her power i don't know how do you feel about the uh about the hunter Oh, the hunter was one of my favorites from the start. Uh, I, I played the hunter a few games back to back just for the fact that I love range combat. I love archery, but also I love the pets. You know, this hunter can bring, yeah. you know, pets from the wild, like a wild dog totally. to help you fight. Um, oh. And also, um, you know, there's a great card. It's like a little bone that you could throw to the hounds, those evil hounds oh, while you're yeah. in the dungeon and the hound will become your friend. So I, I think that's the wonderful thing about the hunter character. You could you know, enhance. I mean, you could have multiple allies join you in the form of, you know, different animals like spiders or wolves. And you know, they can yeah. really help you score some great points. 
Totally. Yes. I, I, so that, that, that still is my favorite trick. Uh, for those of you out there who don't want spoilers on tricks, uh, this is going to be a tough one because we're going to, we hope that you want that because we're going to give you some, some tips and tricks. Cause this is my favorite one where if you have a bone and you meet a hound in the first level, it will be with you the, uh, the entire game. I mean, they just, I feel like I've had one that's lasted for level upon level upon level on top of that. You can get multiple hounds. So I've had like as many as two hounds <laughs> following me along, which is awesome. I, I love that trick. It was a, it's such a, a great one um, to learn because otherwise the bone is pretty useless, but it becomes almost invaluable when you find out that the hounds uh, love the bones, right? Oh, yeah. And they get uh, a lot of damage. Those hounds are tough. You know, they totally. saved my life a couple times. The other thing that the, the hunter can do is they've got the uh, um, um, hunter's mark. I think it's called and that would yes that would in particular i think i i still am not 100 percent positive but i feel like when you get to the elven queen and you give her the hunter's mark she can't become invulnerable or if she can become invulnerable she only it only lasts very very briefly like it doesn't last three turns it only lasts like one turn so it's like a really great tool because the problem with the elven queen of course is that when she becomes invulnerable for multiple turns you can't do anything except some the other people get spawned and spawned and spawned and so you get surrounded because you can't kill the, the queen so i think hunter's mark is really invaluable as well the other one that the hunter can do is the decoy uh and the decoy is another invaluable one where all the villains think that the decoy is what they have to kill and so they all turn uh to go and get that and then you can attack uh and you're safe for a couple turns it's a great great one as well Oh yeah, the barrier's fun. You do some cool tricks with the barrier um, as yeah. well. Um, you know, like the little wood six barrier. I believe that's yeah, yeah. also um, another one of the hunter's cards. I, I love it. It's, hey, you know, push comes to shove. I'm going to put some sticks in front of the door and have these monsters beat the sticks while I'm trying to sneak around them to shoot off far off enemies. So it's nice how you do the little combos where the first action, okay, here, let me put down a decoy. Second action, here. I'm going to shoot this direction and, you know, maybe blow up a lantern or something like that. Like you could do combinations back to back with those action cards. So much. Yeah. I think it's a great way to interact in the world of the game itself. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. I love that. I love that the hunter is able to summon these beasts and, and become befriend all of these animals. It's such a great, such a great idea. So I guess this is, as, that's as far as the RPG element of this game goes, right? It's just like, it's not a personality, but it's like certain traits and skills that uh, they have that others don't. But um, yeah, too bad it couldn't go a little further. But um, yeah, yeah, I agree with you on that one. Yeah. Uh, all right. So this is so the assassin is the enigma, right? This one is like the stealth, the stealth fighter who can um, sneak. They go into sneak mode, and for three turns, no one can see them, and they can like run around and figure out where all the bad guys are, and figure out where all the goodies are. Um, and uh, I noticed actually you uh, taught me a little bit about this character, the assassin. What is the special trick that the assassin could do to get more damage? It's all about the backstabbing. Those <laughs> double blades, you just sneak behind the back of some enemy and go for massive damage. Essentially, it's like getting a critical hit. You're getting double the damage for each one of those. You sneak up behind them, boom. But the hard part is character placement. You know, you have to keep an eye open on. 
are you, where you're going to fall in order to get the proper back hit. Cause a lot of times you think, Oh, I got him on the back, but technically you're to the side or et cetera. So you'll see the damage either go double or go by half. If you go you know, a little too ajar left or right. Yeah. So you have to yeah, just keep yeah. in mind, you know, pinpoint the back of that character and boom, you have some huge, massive damage. It's yeah, so satisfying. Yeah, I had I didn't know that. You know, this character was the toughest for me to figure out, and uh, and, and I guess it's supposed to be that way, right? It's the Enigma character, but I thought that you had some really good strategies with that character. You had you kind of had her uh, him. I guess this is a him. There's two guys and two girls. Oh, this is uh, um. Well, with the assassin, the assassin is referred to as they because right. we don't know anything. Age, gender is all hidden. Yeah, so that makes it even right. more of Enigma. That's right. We don't know if it's a guy or a girl. That is absolutely true. Um, the other uh, great uh, weapon that this character has is the um, the, the uh, bomb, the like uh, poison bomb. I think yes, I think is so great because it's it splatters the ground with poison, and then you can just get two or three or four or five or six hits on an enemy or or a group of enemies. And I find that one also like a, a very valuable tool, especially the end when you're fighting the elven queen because you can just like trap her in one of her little rooms and poison poison down there and every turn she gets, she's getting hit every time she tries to move in the poison so um that's another great uh skill with this character oh i that's another really fun skills that the combinations you could put together because remember you get throw when those you know the green um you know smoke cloud of poison but it's also able to be ignited um if someone throws like a fireball so any of that area that's been you know the smoke flowing one little fireball and suddenly boom you're going for even massive damage for essentially like you know 10 squares of damage i mean yeah. it's interesting how the grid process works um for a character right. like this where you look at the grid and you can figure out okay where can i get the you know the more advantageous attack or hey how many other characters can i attack with just one toss of a you know of a grenade of, or some lie or some poison i think that's why the assassin's my favorite uh, just say you have a lot of different options and you can yeah. do combinations with other characters to go for massive massive an experience yeah it's you know i i've never really done the the po uh, lighting the poison on fire i just let the poison sit there i haven't tried that yet i'm gonna have to try so you got you know all the tricks with the, with this with the assassin you're the you're the assassin it, master it was an ex that was an accident but a happy accident mm. because uh, i also burned myself to death <laughs> that <laughs> round because right, i right, ignited right. it and, oh no <laughs> Right. The more you learn, yeah. that's the fun part about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a really cool character. Okay, so then we got last but not least, we got the sorcerer here, uh, who is another sort of long range attacker. Because when he gets up close, he's really wimpy. He he punches people, but he only gets like one or two damage. So you got to use his spells to get people a little further out. And then he's got the zap card that gets replenished. But the zap card, it, it only hits one damage, but it's it stuns people for uh, at least uh, one round. Um, but a lot of uh, the villains that I really want to kill are often immune to stun. So it's like, I don't know. So the, <laughs> you know, th this is the guy, I have to admit, this was the one that at the beginning of the game was my original favorite. I was like, oh, this is awesome. We got the sorcerer. She's got so many, um, so many different spells, like the fire uh, fireball spell and 
uh, a bunch of uh, different ones like that. And I was like, oh, this character's great. But then you discover after a while, they really can't inflict that much damage. And your cards, um, you start losing your cards very quickly. And this character went from my favorite character to my least favorite character over the course of a couple of weeks. And um, and so then what replaced this as my characters? I actually think the hunter is my favorite character. Ah. Yeah, I feel like the hunter, you can just lean back and you can you can attack from afar. And she's got uh, uh, so many cool um, weapons. And, and like you said, the animals. So I, I actually feel like um, that's the one that I can I lean to now. And I don't want to go on a campaign without the hunter. But um, it used to be the sorcerer. I don't know. What do you think about the sorcerer? The sorcerer is interesting, mostly because of the zap. I, I've been trying to find ways to make the zap ability a little more useful. Um, so yeah. it does help with like you know scary big enemies to at least get a zap in, so at least it won't get a retaliatory action in um, on the next turn. Yeah. But um, the only ability I like of his is the Heaven's Fury, where you just drop you know, oh, yeah. all those yeah, like yeah. you know red blades over everything. That's right. a wonderful ability, but it's hard to get. I mean, you have to usually earn right. enough gold to even buy it in the first place. Um, I, I rarely get it in a treasure chest when we pop them open. So, right. I mean, he is more of the weaker character. I do like it when he does the teleport action that that can help too. Um, teleporting yeah. um, enemies to just get them out of the way, because sometimes those rooms are just overfilled. I mean, you open one door and suddenly, oh, my goodness, there's 12 things in here and they're all about yeah. to beat us up. So that, at least that one ability can get a large threat to pause or get it out of the way for at least a turn or two. Yeah. And the, not the, my you favorite. Know, the thing that, yeah. The thing that I find the zap is it's probably the most useful for is hitting the uh, lamps or the ice lamp or the fire lamps and just sort of igniting a room on fire from a, from a distance. That's really the thing that the zap can do better than anything, I guess. Right. Cause uh, you know, that, yeah. Um, it's satisfying. That, that's one thing I could say, <laughs> you know, doing the zap and just, especially some rooms uh, because of the randomizer for the dungeons, some rooms will have like, you know, three or four lanterns of different kinds. So you hit one of them, you can create this crazy chain effect where almost right. every square is blowing up. So sometimes you can have a happy accident with that zap ability, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay, so you, so your favorite is the assassin. Is there another, who's your second? Who would you have to bring on a campaign besides the assassin? Either the assassin or the hunter. Um, the yeah. assassin, I, I, mostly the reason why I like the assassin is the fact that I, I could just go into stealth and just kind of explore, open up a couple treasure chests and try to sneak around. Uh, it's just a fun ability. It lets me just, you know, the surveyor and kind of, you know, chart out the safe passage or whatever. And then the archer, of course, I, I love ranged abilities. The range is fun. You get the line of sight and you, you can hit some awesome shots. It's just so much fun to just go, pop, I got the bad guy from 10 squares away or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it's funny. And now that I think about, you know, you're talking about RPG. Remember when we played the first game we played, the um, the person who was playing the assassin didn't speak. And we were like, oh, his microphone's broken. Maybe he was role playing. Whoa, you might be right. <laughs> <laughs> Scary, deadly like, enigma. <laughs> yeah, he or she was taking it very seriously. Like, I will be the enigma behind the assassin and I'm going to role play. Who knows? <laughs> um, all right, so gameplay. Um, so 
Yeah, what do you what do you feel about the the gameplay? It's it, it, you really are playing a board game. How, how do you feel about that? I enjoyed the board game feel. Um, rolling the die um, felt very natural. The fact I just had this one big die roll. I also loved the fact that I could easily move around the board. You know, when you play a board game in real life, you can't zoom in, um, you know, extremely close to look at the miniatures and characters. In this game, I could pull it right onto my lap, or even better, I could lift the entire board and just put it right on eye view. So I like that aspect of the gameplay. I could get the perfect view, and also just for really cool cinematic moments. Um, I would, you know, kind of get the view just right, and then I'll toss a card out to do a really cool damage-based attack and, hey, see some great animations. So overall, it, it had that feel, the immersion, the fact that I could, you know, literally, you know, lean on the table and kind of peek up or down, walk around the table. Um, that's another interesting feature if you're playing standing. Um, you have that virtual tabletop, you can walk around it, which also felt extremely immersive. Um, I haven't had that feeling yet in my Oculus until I played this game. This gave me that feeling of, hey, I'm really here and I'm playing with a couple friends. Yeah. So how how often do you go down on an eye level view and how good is eye level view? I only do eye level view mostly for the coolness. It's just mm -hmm. dynamic because the animation is really fascinating. When you see the character just get that action out that you like. That's mostly it. Um, the particle effects are really great. Um, I, I just love the, the fine details. I mean, yeah, you get too close. You know, they're not the most detailed models within the game, but they're detailed and cartoony enough that it works perfectly for Oculus Quest. Oh, yeah. So, the, you know, that's interesting. I've never I've, I haven't found that going down into eye level. I've never found a satisfying view down there. Like, I wish. This is actually my biggest criti uh, criticism of the game is that I wish you could press like the B button and zoom into the character and you could see from the eyes of the character and then you could and then you could play out your action and then you could press B button again and zoom back out to like God's eye view or, or whatever. I feel like obviously that's asking a lot that would require some major graphics and all of that kind of stuff. But I feel like that's the power of VR, right? Is like fact that you are the character you are you're not sort of looking down on the character you're in it so i feel like you know games like the last of us and a lot of video games you have that option where you could go to a third person view you could zoom into the character's view um i think even in saints and sinners walking dead you could do that right mm, i don't remember doing any third person um, i don't remember that option popping no. up yeah maybe um not. I, I, yeah i'm trying to yeah yeah, but I do. It, it is always weird with switching some games. It's always an awkward switch between first person and third person. So it's hard mm -hmm. to tell. I did. I do wish that there was a few action buttons to change your view because dragging the table, you know, in real life, mm -hmm. I wouldn't pick up the table and try to you know tilt it and lift it. So I think a few shortcuts, even like a first person sh view sh shortcut would definitely be worth it. Because I mean, even if you look at this, you know, the image that we have up here, I mean, to see that, you know, dynamic explosion on top of that spider when I'm shooting zap at it, that would be, I mean, actually, that's a fireball card. I mean, that, that would be wonderful to see first person. So who knows? I mean, maybe an update yeah. or two. Or even, yeah, or even like at older games where it was like when you do your kill move, it, it zooms into like the, 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 the level of the playing field and you can see, you can like go with the fireball. I mean, that would be incredible. Obviously, that's expensive stuff to be able to develop. But yeah, I just feel like 
you know, this is the first game that I've played that you're outside of the characters. Um, and so it's sort of, in a way, it, it, it's a throwback to older games, but it, that's the one where it's like, well, they could have updated it maybe and make us really feel like we are walking through this dungeon where we don't really feel like that. That's my only, my only real criticism because you know, I do know that obviously they're going to be building these new campaigns and the, the three levels is only temporary, but this is an element that may not be temporary, right? <laughs> it might be around for a while. For, Ever. Now that's a good point. Uh, when it comes to the gameplay, one other thing I thought was missing was dungeon master's role. One mm. thing I thoroughly enjoyed when I was a kid was to build my own dungeons and set traps and you know put different hazards in and hide enemies in different areas. I, mm. I know that's an automated, you know, it's a randomization system that they use to create the levels, but I do wish they had a mode for a dungeon master, someone to actually use the same tools to drag and drop to create their own, you know, dark evil dungeon. Cause it's kind of fun to say, set up 20 traps for my best friends. Let's see how they get through this. So if there was a means of adding a fifth player as that designer role, that would definitely push this game over the top. That is a very cool idea. I love that idea. That that's uh we'll have to get the the developers on the phone. Get them on the phone. Jonathan, they need to hire you. What's uh. <laughs> No, that's that's a great idea. That would be so much fun. You're right. Cuz it does feel like this is like when we got together um so we had a game we uh, we got recorded and released. It's on Twitter. You can watch it. So I had a previous episode where I had, had on VR Verdict. And so we played with the two guys from VR Verdict. And um, that was that was super uh, fun to do. But just imagine... And it felt like a game night. Like, it felt like, okay, we're going to, like, get together with some friends. We're going to have this game night. And we're going to be in this virtual uh, rec room in our basements. And that was super cool. But you're right. There needs... To get having the dungeon master would be that final cherry on top. Absolutely, that would be so fun. Then, and you can each take turns, kind of like being the dungeon master or something like that. Totally. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, um, overall, yeah, I loved. I... Oh, oh, go ahead. Oh, well, I was just thinking, just in terms of just the the, the tactile nature of um, you know pinching and picking up your miniatures, um, and also the fact that you could pick up the enemies to get more information about them. Um, I did enjoy that because it kind of reminded me, oh, back in the day, you had to open up a rule book and flip through to find, okay, what does this bad guy do? But the fact I could just lift him up and get more information, um, it, it was nice. I got that, you know, it helped us strategize better as well because sometimes mm -hmm. you throw something, you realize, oh, this character, this enemy is immune to this card. And when I first started playing, I had no clues. I'll just, you know, hey, I'm going to make this character panic. Oh, it doesn't panic it because it's immune to it. So it was kind of nice after I learned, Oh, I could just pick them up and learn more. And that was totally. during a game session with the, with the other folks. I mean, the VR yeah. verdict guys, you know, yeah. they, they were given tips just like other folks. So that's the fun thing about this game is that every gameplay session, you get to learn from others, you know, of more experienced players will kind of give you a couple fun tips and create combinations. So overall, I, I the social aspect of it is what I love the most. Totally. Social VR aspect where you're multiplayer, you're hanging out, you're in a rec room in the 80s, you're kind of just like geeking out on this game and like helping each other and figuring out how to do these campaigns together. Yeah, it's, it's that's the best part about it. I mean, the only other game that I've played that's so, um, so good with social is probably, um, 
what's I don't even remember what it's called. It's like that sports game where you uh, you shoot the, the it's like a, you shoot these Tron like discs into the net. Oh, Echo VR, Echo, Echo, Echo that, VR, yeah. Echo like VR is the golf. other one. Yeah, Echo VR is the other one where it's like that's a really good multiplayer uh, game where you're you're playing with just random people who come in and some of them are so good and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, this one is the second uh, second best um, or you know that field for sure. Oh yeah. And I have to give props to the VR community because when it comes to the community interactions, you know, different games have different levels of toxicity. I have had a great mm -hmm. time playing with absolutely random folks who've been funny, sweet, you know, just, uh, just normal guys and girls and just fun people who want to interact and play a game. It felt like it was fast friends. You know, I'm in a room by myself and then suddenly three other folks jump in and just start playing together and collaborating. Um, I haven't had a game where someone didn't want to work together for a common goal, which I found fascinating. I'm like, these are complete strangers. And we're, you know, like, hey, I'm going to save you. Don't worry. Just hold on for one more turn. I'm going to go and revive you because you just got knocked down. It, it felt like this is a community game. And whatever it is, um, they're doing everything right so far, because I've had a very pleasant experience each game session with random people. Yeah, that's a really good point because Echo VR, I had people like humping my face and like doing weird stuff with my avatars <laughs> and like I get maybe it's because it's a competitive game and so you're taunting the other players and you're kind of and then you you come in and you're you don't have to commit to a very long game whereas this is like a two and a half hour long campaign with with people that have to work on your team against these other orcs and warlords and things like that whereas echo vr is like you're in and out in like a five to ten minute game you don't really have to create any kind of loyalty plus you're you're fight you're you're competing in a sports arena against another team and they're going to be haunting you and like flipping you off and trying to hump your face and do whatever so that's a really good point though that this was a very non-toxic uh environment absolutely yeah. Um, all right. So, uh, last one before we get to, uh, uh, well, we got a few, if, a few tips and trips maybe, but the style, we sort of talked about the style. I think it's really cool. It's, 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 I'm going to try to get down into first person view a little bit more because I've been sort of taking God's eye view more frequently. Um, but it's, it's got a great style when you get right in there. I just found it gets a little pixely when you get too close. Is that, is that your experience? Yeah, there, there's a limit because I mean, there are miniatures. Um, I, when I, I play miniature games in real life, and the one thing about painting miniatures, we call it like the three foot rule, where, hey, three feet away, this miniature looks great. You pick it up and look right. at it nice and close, you see all the goop and the globs and all the mistakes. That's how it kind of felt. So I didn't mind it because it reminds me of how my poorly painted miniatures look when I get too close to them. But hey, three feet, they look awesome. So I, I'll give him a pass for that. It reminded me of my real world experience. <laughs> All right. Uh, what do you feel about? Um, have you been Have you been uh, getting um, these skins and things like that? Have you Yeah. Have you got into that? Um, <laughs> kind of changes things a little bit. I, I'm only like halfway through the skins. There's a lot of skins to get. You can get so you can get different types of armor for your guys. You can get uh, different uh, uh, plates uh, that they stand on, um, and you can get different types of dye. Uh, you get red dye and leather dye and all that kind of stuff. Have you, how far have you gotten with the stuff? I only have a handful of unlockables. I mean, cause yeah. the thing is I played a lot of um, solo skirmishes 
as well. So that's the funny thing. I played kind of 50 50 solo skirmishes by myself with the three characters just for practice and in group games. So the thing is, your experience points. I believe they only accumulate mostly from the regular games. So I got some extra dice. Um, you know, I, I love, um, you know, like the multicolored ones. Like I have this really cool kind of jade looking dice mm-hmm. and I do love the, the costumes. And I like the fact that you're earning these costumes. It's not some kind of, mm-hmm. you know, um, downloadable content scheme where I have to pay four ninety nine to, you know, just, Get a mustache right. for my character. I, I do love the fact that I earn it. You know, I'm playing, I'm, co- I'm collaborating, I'm, you know, using the right cards, I'm collecting enough gold. And then, yeah, I, I love the fact even the, bla- the base plates are changeable in different styles. It, it makes it feel more unique. It makes me want to almost, you know, digitally paint my own little miniatures almost. I, yeah, I wonder if it would add to it if they did it like Echo VR. Because in Echo VR, when you get certain types of, um, skins it actually increases your gameplay so it changes the way you can play the game and it gives you extra powers i wonder if that would add to it where it's like oh you get an extra card you get a bonus card because you have this like type of skin or something like that um maybe it would make it too uneven and too unfair i don't know but um that might be something that would be kind of interesting yeah, as long as there's balance, you know, because I, yeah. I don't like games that feel like people are paying to win. Right, I, I don't want right. someone to, you know, pay for experience and get the coolest skin that gives you bonuses. But if it's earned through gameplay and they find a way to keep the levels right, so other players that might be a little higher level will play together. I'm not really sure how the system works right now when it comes to pairing players, you know, because I'm not really sure if it's based on experience points or if it's just totally random, but that would be something that could be helpful. So the power players can play together and the beginners can play together or even friendly versus more competitive matches. Um, If they have Mm. more choices or at least data, so we know how we're getting connected, I I think that would make it a little more fulfilling. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So tips and tricks. So le- this is where we get to do the spoilers, whatever, whatever we got. Um, so we, we, we said the bone one, the bone one's gotta be my favorite hack that we've we, uh, found so far. Um, I think there was, I think, was it you also that maybe brought up the one, how do you defeat the blob? Yes. Um, you can have a jar of lye and just toss it up yeah. the, the slime blob and it'll just melt down. Yeah, that was a great also, trick because a, a blob can have like 15, 16 health and you in one swipe of lie, they just dissolve to nothing. It's from 15 to zero. So it's like a really great one because not only are they 15 health, but they spawn little slimes that come and get you all the time and they leave their trail on the ground. So to get rid of them in one swoop is so, uh, so powerful. And also those little slimes can combine again to make another big slime. Uh, That's another scary one that can happen where you think, hey, just ignore that little thing. It's no big deal. Suddenly, oh, two of them combine and now we have another massive threat. And I just used my last thing of lie, which has happened a couple of times. Nice. Um, All right. So any other any other big tips or tricks that you've learned along the way? Well, it's mostly about building combinations between each player, but also knowing your line of sight. Um, one thing about the game, one critique, um, you know, especially for new players, it is a little hard to gauge line of sight. You know, usually, you know, if you're playing on tabletop, hey, I could just do my eye view. You know, I'll just kind of lean right. down at the table and what I see I could hit. But sometimes in the game, what I think I could see, I can't hit. 
but somehow with the bad guys, I swear those arrows can go around corners sometimes and still hit me. So it's, it's hard to tell. It seems like the bad guys are playing by a different set of rules, but um, knowing how to get the line of sight just right can save the day. Right. Yeah. And I think also, um, the order in which you kill your enemies, like you should seek out the enemies that can spawn other enemies. Because it, it, if you got like a, a, a sort of elven chieftain or something like that, and he spawns like all of these, well, I guess it's the priests, right? The priests are the ones that yes. spawn the other ones. So it's like those ones you got to get rid of because they can summon other ogres or whatever to come at you. And uh, even though the ones that they summon are always the weakest, right? So they always get panicked the most easily but still it's just annoying to have a room full of five of them when you could have just killed the one i mean archers i think uh are getting rid of them getting rid of the long range attackers so helps i don't know about you but i usually leave the um those weird ghoul like things that teleport all the bad guys but they never hit you they never hurt you they just teleport bad guys in to hurt you i usually leave them alone because but you know they don't hurt you so you can just let them sit around and and take care of all the other bad guys who can cause uh, damage to you first. I sort of find that helpful. Um, the oh, one that's a cool good trick one. I, I, yeah, the one cool trick I learned was that if you charm uh, a necromancer, it also charms all of the spawns that necromancer has brought back from the dead. So then you can get like an army of bad guys to fight for you. Yeah, I love cool. that effect creating a bunch yeah. of allies um that yeah. was an accident the the first time i saw yeah. that happen was we were playing in the game and everyone it was the first time we've all experienced it so it was a blast we all yelled like oh my goodness what just happened that was cool yeah. like yeah, yeah, those yeah. wow moments that are built into this game are very organic um but totally. one other tip i really enjoyed when you know when it comes to opening doors i it always feels like I put the wrong guy in because remember the assassin, you could traverse different areas under stealth, right. but you know, it's all about that placement, you know, opening up a door and being at the wrong angle. Once again, line of sight. Um, right. I've been swamped because, Hey, I'm at the side of the door. No one can hurt me. No, they will. So that's why having the guardian as that doorkeeper can really save the day. Just say, hey, have the guardian open a door, help do a little sweep. And then kind of sneak right. your assassin behind everything. Um, a lot of times how the doorways are set up, you could have one person at the main door to kind of block and you know, start fighting and then have your assassin sneak around behind all the enemies while they're busy you know, fighting. So that, that's always totally. a great tip. You know, use someone to distract and use someone to attack. Totally. Yeah, no, for sure. If you, and if you have a decoy, you can do it even even better. That, that oh, yeah, I usually save. Yeah, doubly exactly. Um, the other, the other, the other thing that I find really helpful, I find Ballas, like Ballas, or um, there's one other one that the Guardian can get. That they become like just like uh, they just help you so much because it's like you've got another person on your turn who can kill all the bad guys. So I, I think those things are really helpful. And also getting an elemental, creating an elemental, putting them on your side is super uh, cool as well. So the more allies you can have, the the better campaign's going to be for sure um oh it's so, fun to go to the third dungeon like that you know a whole bunch of allies <laughs> kind of hey we have five folks helping us that, that's always a blast yeah well that's you know this is i guess the other criticism is that i actually feel like the elven queen is pretty easy <laughs> you know getting to her is harder but beating her 
is not a hard, it's not so hard that it makes me feel satisfied. Like I know that this is the only campaign one, so I'm waiting for the next one, but I feel like but the the um, level that the Elven Queen is in only has certain rooms and she seems to often gets trapped in a corner. You can just like blockade the door and you could put some poison on the ground and you can get like healing wards and ballasts and people to fight for you. All you need to do with the archer is to take out the unseen or the unheard, which is it? The one that uh, makes her invulnerable. Yes. I think it's the, un is it the unseen? I think it's, yeah, you know, unseen or unheard. Yeah. You just want to put a little, yeah, the bubble effect on the invulnerability. But yeah. also with that, that's one of my primary issues. The invulnerability, after you learn how it works with the with the queen, well, it's easier to repeat it over and over again. It almost reminds me of an old Nintendo game, like, you know, 16-bit, 18-bit era when it's very, very hard the first time. But after you learn the patterns and the tricks... Yeah it's not as hard anymore. So exactly. yeah, I feel like there's less strategy in future games, but the moment there's enough new players that come in that they're still, you know, shocked and surprised by you know, this humongous creature. So at least, you know, you have that experience, you know, the less familiar players might panic or make a wrong move. So at least you have to account for that. So that adds a little randomization beyond the basic. Wow. 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 That's right. It's WoW score time. So that means <laughs> Ben Wows is like, this game is the most incredible game I've ever played. Zero Wows is like, what the hell did I just waste my time doing? Uh, wow score. What do you give it? Uh, Futurosity. I am curious. Is a way, let's just remind each other because this is where it gets challenging though, because we did The Walking Dead and I gave you, what did you, I gave it eight and a half, you gave it eight. So now we yes. have to, that's always going to be the, the gauge, right? It's like, did you like it more than Walking Dead or less than Walking Dead? So I'm very curious to hear. Oh, now that's a hard one. Uh, I <laughs> think I'm going to, I'll think in terms of genre, you know, so, mm. you know, as far okay. as, um, you know, board games, I'm going to think in terms of just board game wise, I would give this an eight and a half in its current form, um, mostly because of the social VR aspects and the immersive dice rolling and moving my miniatures around. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but there's enough missing that, you know, I'll be honest, when I first beat it, I kind of questioned the buying price. But then when I looked online, I realized, okay, there's more content coming. It, it kind of satiated my needs for a little bit. I realized, okay, there's more to come. I believe in these guys. They seem like they have a great community. Um, the more I look at it, um, the resolution team that created this game, I realize, hey, you know, quality content creators, I believe that they're going to pull off some amazing stuff. But at the moment, I'll say it's an eight with a lot of potential to be a nine or a ten. Got it, got it, got it. Okay, so then if so, you gave it the same score as Walking. Yeah, I would give it. It's a it's a fun VR experience. As far as, you know, immersion, of course, you know, Walking Dead offered a lot more. You know, I was able to play a right. role. But within this game, just saying, well, as far as the VR experience, how many wows I had and how many moments I was like, wow, this is amazing. Right. I, I would count those. I, I, I think I had at least eight the first game. Just like, whoa, right. oh, cool. I, right. I count those as points. Okay, so then here, here's the tiebreaker. You have a friend who can only ever play one of these games. Which one do you give them? Which one do you well, recommend to them? For universal appeal and for just getting the Oculus experience, I would give them Walking Dead. Um, just because I say, hey, if you want to feel 
the VR right. experience, right. Um, the standalone experience, and go through an adventure, especially for a person that's used to, you know, paying $60 for a regular full-length game, something like Walking Dead will definitely give them a, a very full experience for the price. Something like this, you know, they're a first-time VR user, I have to double-check and see, are you an enthusiast? You know, are you interested in mm. role-playing games and miniatures? Uh, you have to ask a couple more questions before recommending DBO, especially people that may not like the social aspect. They don't want to interact with strangers as much, or they don't have a, a group that they want, you know, a gaming group. So I would ask more questions before I tell someone to get Demio. But for me, I love it. I know there's great potential, but in its current form, and it's, it's almost there. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think so. I think that the the I I'm I found it super addictive. I totally just kept playing and playing and wanting to beat it. I loved playing with other people. Um, I loved uh, I love fantasy kind of you know wizards and guardians and all that orc. And I love all that stuff. So I totally dug that. But the detractors are that it it certainly at this mo- moment in time feels anticlimactic. It's like oh wait, I just beat the game. That was it. That's like three levels. Whereas like Walking Dead has like eight levels at least. I don't know, ten maybe. Um, also, the fact that you're not immersed in a character, seeing it from their point of view, you're right. It doesn't quite um, use all of the uh, empathy machine. Uh, it, you know, immersion that a game like The Walking Dead does where you are a character that people are interacting with and talking to and you're following through a world and a plot. Um, You know, it's interesting because if I think about how many hours I probably played The Walking Dead in this one, the interesting thing is that um, Walking Dead, once you beat it once, I don't think I will play it again. I made it all the way through. I don't know. I know you did. You played it multiple times, right? Yeah, so that... So for me, I think that was it because I think I, I, I went through it once and I was totally fine. Um, but this game, I could see myself continually going back to because I may want to play with some friends or I may want to try out some kind of a, a new strategy or something like that. So I, in the end, am going to give it an 8.7. Slightly higher than mine. <laughs> slightly higher than yours and slightly higher than Walking Dead. But I know that The Walking Dead gives you so much more, but for some reason, it just hits a sweet spot for me. And I'm just like, I want to keep playing it, even though uh, I've played in the same levels over and over again. There's sort of different strategies you can try. There's different characters you can play with. You could play multiplayer mode and get some tips from other people. Um, and so I don't know. I, I think this one gives me it gives a slight edge. For The Walking Dead, although I, I'm almost embarrassed to say, because Walking Dead is a true VR immersive experience where you're going through a world and there's so much more to offer, and it was probably so much more difficult to develop. Um, so they're both they're both great, but uh, I'm going to give this one a slight edge. I totally know where you're coming from with that. No, you're right. There's something fun about, you know, having a game with a couple friends. And I think the social aspect of this is what's going to give this game some legs, you know, because we have updates coming in the future and the social aspects will get people coming back. Uh, The replayability is it's a board game. It feels like, hey, I want to pull a game off the shelf, put it on the table and play with some friends. Uh, I think board games and VR 
we need more of this. Um, mm-hmm. We definitely need, more, you know, I mean, even the classic games like Monopoly and et cetera. I mean, this is the future because, hey, everyone, friends move to different areas. Friends are across the world. Hey, why not just sit down at a little virtual table, throw some dice and have fun? Um, so I, totally. this is a enjoyable game. Very enjoyable. Totally. And definitely for Walking Dead, I bet I'm going to put more hours into this in a few more days than I put in all of Walking Dead. Mm, totally. Yeah. Uh, all right. So thank you for teleporting in to this worldcast of Simulation Nation. Whether you are with us in virtual reality or 2D, listen to the podcast a week from now on Spotify or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our Instagram at the Simulation Nation, Twitter at SimNationVR, Facebook and Discord. And join us tomorrow, actually, as we have our third Ghost of Alt Space episodes where we talk to the ubiquitous alt person behind alt stage events here in Alt Space. Until then, stay plugged. My friend.